Staring at the long, dark hallway at 4 a.m., Joe Cowdery felt a sickening feeling in the pit of his stomach. He had only been working at St. Peter's Hospital for two weeks, but cleaning this hallway was his most dreaded task. As a custodian on third shift, he was tasked to sweep and mop the hallways when traffic in those areas was at a minimum. He didn't mind the hallways on the first or second floors, but the basement of the original hospital was one that bothered him. It was in a T-shape. The top section led to the elevator on one end and the stairwell at the other, while the dimly lit long section formed the bottom. The concrete walls were cold and painted battleship gray, and the old nine-inch asbestos floor tile was dark brown with black streaks. The ceiling was also concrete, painted with a cream color now stained with years of cigarette smoke from a time when hospital employees could light up in the building. Every 20 feet were mounted aged fluorescent light fixtures that hummed when powered on. and barely cast enough light to see. It worried him, not only because the hallway was dark, even with the lights on, but it was because of what was at the far end that filled him with dread. There was a sign mounted next to the metal double doors that read simply, Morgue. There was something in that word that instilled a sense of fear in Joe even though the morgue was moved to the new addition that was built last year, and this area was closed for business. Maybe it was the thought that about every dead person in McLean County for the past 75 years had passed through these doors. They would be whisked out of the morgue up a concrete ramp and into hearses parked in the alley behind the hospital, waiting to take their fares to various funeral homes in the Bloomington area. Even the indigent would leave the morgue this way for a burial of minimal expense in a glorified cardboard box in a section of Maple Hill Cemetery funded by private donations. No customer left the morgue coming back through the metal double doors at the end of the long, dark hallway. Mr. Montgomery will see you now, Mr. Cowdery said Christine Condor, the secretary that worked in the buildings and grounds office at St. Peter's Hospital. She was in her early 40s, but looked like she was pushing 60, with too much makeup and an outdated mullet-style hairdo, prepared for public viewing each day with a full can of Aquanet. Her voice was gruff, from years of smoking Pall Mall Reds. She looked up only for a moment, and forced a smile before going back to her crossword puzzle and gum-smacking. Joe nodded to her, making his way into Doug Montgomery's office. Doug was the supervisor of the maintenance crew and custodians. Joe's father-in-law, Ben, had told him about the custodial job that was posted on the bulletin board near the employee time clock. He was less than six months from retiring from the maintenance crew, and he hoped his influence with Doug would help Joe get the job. Joe and his daughter Betsy were only married a year and were expecting their first baby in less than two months. 
Ben wanted something more secure for Joe, who was a hard worker but wasting his time bagging groceries at the IGA. He wanted more for Betsy than a bag boy's income. Come on and sit down, uh, Joe, right? Doug said, forcing a wry smile. Distracted, he barely made eye contact. Yes, sir, Joe Cowdery. Joe sat down, looking around Doug's office to see if there were clues that might give him something to talk about with his potential boss. His father had suggested that tactic during job interviews. Doug's office was outdated with cheap wood paneling and random pieces of even cheaper furniture. It was cluttered with piles of maintenance parts catalogs, car magazines, and pictures of his wife and two boys at various ages and at events in frames on the walls. Also displayed were some of his training certificates and licenses that he had to carry for his position. There was a Green Bay Packer calendar on the wall next to a sign that read, Ford Parking Only. There was also a poster that said, Kiss My Ass, with a smiling donkey on it. Doug had a penchant for interior decorating by garage sale. Doug had his work boots up on the desk, leaning back in his chair with a smirk on his face. He wore a uniform like the rest of the maintenance crew, but his name said Boss instead of Doug. His workers all made fun of him about it behind his back. The rumor was that he was henpecked at home, but when he crossed the threshold at work, he was all about being in charge. At the first sign of trouble, Doug typically would try and pin the blame on others. Joe figured he was in his late 40s, but the cheesy mustache made him look older. The fact that his boots were three years old but looked like he just bought them spoke volumes. Ben had warned him about Doug and his poor bedside manner but he explained that that to work at the hospital helped as a custodian. Joe had no choice but to deal with him. Doug was a judge, jury, and executioner all rolled into one ball of a complete jerk. You know the only reason you're sitting here is because of Ben, right? Doug said, absently gazing at Joe's application and cleaning his teeth with a toothpick. Joe didn't know how to respond to that. He found himself staring at the toothpick, rooting around in Doug's mouth and listening to the disgusting slurping sounds he made. It grossed him out when Doug took it out, looked at it closely, then smelled it before putting it back in his mouth. When can you start? Doug asked. I could start Monday, sir. I just want to give my boss at IGA a few days' notice. They always have kids coming in and asking about jobs, so they won't have any trouble replacing me. Disinterested, Doug continued to pick at his teeth. Then he picked up his cell phone and was messing around with it while Joe sat there shifting in his chair. Okay, Monday is fine. Christine can give you all the paperwork we'll need you to fill out. You okay with working third shift? He flipped the toothpick at the garbage can but missed. Sure, I can work whatever shifts you have. Thank you. 
Joe replied and reached out to shake his hand. Doug ignored it, still staring at his phone. Okay, kid, be here at 10 p.m. on Monday. I'll have someone run you through your area that you'll be responsible to clean. After a couple nights, you'll be ready to work on your own. Thank you, Mr. Montgomery. Doug nodded, still engrossed at whatever was on his phone. Just like that, Joe started his employment with St. Peter's Hospital. Betsy would be happy since it was almost $4 more an hour than he made at IGA and guaranteed 40-hour weeks. Doug told them that sometimes they could work overtime if something big was going on at the hospital where he wanted to make the building shine. With the baby coming, they would need the money. It was the three-week anniversary of his start date when Joe clocked in on Monday night. An hour into his shift, the four custodians from second shift were clocking out and leaving Joe by himself to work until 7 a.m. when the first shift employees showed up. He didn't mind working alone at all because he could listen to music on his phone with earbuds and tune the world out while he swept and mopped his areas. Joe liked to listen to heavy metal, and thanks to the earbuds, he could play it as loud as he liked without disturbing anyone. Lester, the custodian that trained him, told him to start on the second floor and work his way down to the basement. Despite three weeks on the job, the basement hallway bothered him in the small hours when there were so few people around. It was nearly 4 a.m. when Joe filled up his mop bucket with steaming hot water from the slop sink in the basement custodial room and a generous amount of liquid sunshine, a chemical they used at the hospital for general purpose cleaning. It had a nice lemon fragrance that left the hallway smelling clean when he was done. Doug loved when he got compliments on how good the building looked and smelled, so he was adamant about his custodians doing things that his way. Maintenance didn't seem as important to him since the work they usually did was behind the scenes, and the average person had no idea of the importance of changing out a valve in the boiler room or reglazing a broken window pane. It was all about cosmetic appeal and what Doug scored the most points with the brass. An hour passed, and Joe returned to the slop sink to dump his mop bucket and fill it again with hot water and liquid sunshine to do the last half of the long, dark hallway. He was going through his playlist to pick the right music for the worst part of the shift when he heard a noise that made him jump. Joe's back was to the old morgue, he gingerly turned around when he heard the noise again. It made his heartbeat race, realizing that the sounds were coming from the other side of the doors. He froze in panic in the middle of the hall, now facing the doors, hoping that the noise would not return. A few pensive minutes passed, and in silence, he was breathing heavily in anticipation and his mouth became incredibly dry. The notification tone on his phone rang, letting him know he had a text message. It made him jump. 
Can you pick up some milk on your way home? It was Betsy. She had trouble sleeping the past two months of her pregnancy, so it was not uncommon for her to send him text messages at random times during his shift. Despite her excitement at Joe's new job, Betsy didn't like being home alone through the night. They lived on the west side of town in a bad neighborhood, and it was not uncommon to hear people out at all hours of the night and even gunshots. There were a string of robberies and break-ins in the area recently, and she was already looking for a new place, somewhere quieter, especially with the baby coming and Joe's new job. Okay, Joe replied. Suddenly, he heard the noise again. This time, it sounded like the banging of metal on metal. He had never been inside the former morgue, and he had no desire to find out what by what might be causing the noise. Nervously, Joe looked around in all directions. Are you busy? I miss you. Betsy messaged him back. Yeah, I'm real busy. Gotta go, Bets. He put the phone back into his pocket and began mopping the last half of the basement hallway. Every so often, Joe would look up and stare at the double doors and then to the sign that read, morgue. He hoped that the noise would not persist. Joe moved quickly as he could, trying to get the mopping done so he could leave this dreary part of the hospital. He wondered why they even had him doing this area of the building, since the plan, as he heard it from Lester during his training, was to demolish the original part of the hospital in two months, once they moved all the offices and patient rooms over to the new addition. When he asked his father-in-law about it, Ben told him to not question it and just do his job. Just put in your eight hours, Joe. That's all anyone can ask of you, Ben had told him on Saturday night when the family went to eat at Luca Grill. Don't ask too many questions. Bosses don't like that. Keep to yourself because people talk, and you'll wind up getting in trouble. Ben chomped on his Baldini pizza, a Luca Grill staple, and his favorite thing to eat. He managed to get the rest of the hallway mopped, his mop bucket dumped and put away without hearing any other noises coming from behind the double doors. When the first shift guys came on at 7 a.m., Joe thought about mentioning what he had heard to one of them, but he figured they would just make fun of him about it. He thought that maybe it was something perfectly explainable and that there was no use in making himself out to be a problem child. So he punched out at 7.30 a.m. sharp, picked up the milk that Betsy wanted, and went home to get some sleep. It was 4 a.m. the following day, Tuesday, when Joe found himself back in the basement hallway. Staring at the metal double doors, he began to mop the floor, slowly making his way down the long, dark hallway he dreaded. An hour passed, and he was nearing the halfway point of his mopping when he heard the noise again. It was the same metal-on-metal metal sound he heard before. He turned off his music, stopping dead in his tracks. The noise persisted, 
and Joe could feel the terror course through his body like a raging fire. He turned around, hoping that maybe someone in the hallway that could vouch for the obvious banging sounds in the former morgue. But there was no one else. He turned back around, staring at the doors. Joe's grip tightened on the mop handle, his knuckles white in anticipation. He grabbed it like it was the only thing he had to defend himself, which it was, from whatever was moving around beyond the doors. The banging rang out again, yet this time it was followed by what sounded like someone walking, feet shuffling across the tile floor. He didn't know what to do. Thoughts raced through his mind. Should he turn and run away? Joe knew the guys would never let him live that down. Should he call out to whatever was making the noise? Maybe it was an employee moving equipment around or furniture. His fear would not allow him to confront it. Instead, like the night before, he decided to work as quickly as he could, the mop water sloshing about in his bucket, the equivalent of whistling in the graveyard. He found himself glancing at the doors every few minutes, hoping that the noises would not return. In his mind, he wanted to just call it done and hope that no one decided to check his work for the last section of the hallway. As dark as it was, a person would practically need a spotlight to see if the floor was swept and mopped, since the hallway was no longer used in this part of the basement, Joe wondered why he was even sweeping and mopping it anyway. But he thought about what his father-in-law told him about not asking questions and that he should just do his job. He could see Ben saying it, a slice of the Baldini pizza in one hand and a beer in the other. Suddenly, the shuffling of feet could be heard. This time it sounded like it was just on the other side of the doors. Joe was no more than ten feet from the end of the hallway, paralyzed in terror. Then it sounded like someone on the other side was jiggling the doorknob. Joe's eyes got real big, and he, start, and he stared at the knob, shaking in place. Slowly it began to turn. Joe threw down the mop as he watched the knob turn, and the bright door creak open. A strong, musty odor swept from the opening in the door, and only darkness could be seen within. Joe turned and ran. He ran like he was on a track team and never looked back, his footsteps echoing. He turned the corner to the left, still running with everything he had. He was desperate to make it to the elevator. He hoped it was already in the basement so the doors would open quickly. Reaching the elevators, Joe repeatedly pushed the button to go up, but the doors did not open. His breathing was heavy, and he did what he could to slow it down, hoping not to hear any noises behind him. He heard nothing. Against his will, Joe turned around quickly while the doors considered opening but he saw nothing behind him. Come on, damn it, he said under his breath as he watched the old elevator finally begin its descent to the basement. 
he pushed the button again, knowing it did no good. The display above the elevator showed the car was in the basement, yet the doors still would not open. He pushed the up button again, but still no response. He knew the stairs were on the other end of the hallway, and he would have to run past the long, dark hallway to make it to the other side of the T, where the door was that led to the stairwell. He took a deep breath and ran once again, this time toward the stairs. As he ran by the dreaded hallway, Joe glanced toward the old morgue. He thought he saw movement in the hallway as he ran. He wasn't sure if it was a figment of his imagination. All Joe could think was to run faster, and if there was something moving in the dark shadows of the hallway, he would make it to the stairway first. He was only a few feet from the stairwell when he felt something ice cold grab his right foot. The grip was tight, and the last thing he remembered was falling face first to the hard tile floor, and then everything went black. Joe, can you hear me? said a soft female voice. It sounded like she was talking through an empty paper towel roll. Joe's eyes fluttered as he regained consciousness. The first thing he noticed was how sore his face was. He was in a hospital bed and a nurse was standing next to him, calling his name and taking his blood pressure. She was thin, plain-looking, and in her fifties. She wore blue scrubs and was smiling at him. Yes, I can, he replied, noticing his voice sounded funny, like he was heavily medicated. Where am I? He looked around the room. You took one hell of a fall. You're at St. Peter's Hospital. You picked a good place to get hurt, I guess. We don't know how long you were lying in the basement. A security guard found you while making his rounds, she said, writing some things down on, on his chart. My name is Sabrina. If you need anything, I brought you some ice water. She gestured where she set the pitcher and the cups down. There was a pause. I felt something grab me before I fell. Joe knew it sounded strange, but he was tired of not saying anything. Really? She looked up from the chart and stared at him for a moment. There were noises in the old morgue. I've heard them several times this week, he said, looking at the nurse. She wasn't making eye contact. Something was in there. It was the opening of the door, so I ran. She smiled at him and patted his shoulder gently. I'll go get the doctor to talk to you. Get some rest now. Your face is starting to bruise up good. You're lucky you didn't break anything. Joe didn't respond. He knew it all sounded crazy. He knew what people would think when he mentioned that he heard noises in the old morgue. That's why he hadn't mentioned it to anyone. There was no mistaking it, though. He felt something grab his foot and pull him down with tremendous strength. He remembered it was ice cold. Joe looked at his right ankle and it was red and swollen. Joe knew something down there in the old basement had grabbed him. He didn't want to even think about having to go back there. Not now, not ever. So the doctor said you have a concussion. He said you need to be off work for 48 hours, 
said Doug Montgomery, standing next to Joe's bed at the hospital. He was wearing his uniform, holding a styrofoam cup full of coffee. Can you believe that shit? Yes, that's correct, Sabrina added, with the doctor's note in her hand. Did you want a copy, Doug? I already got a copy of it, thank you. He was obviously annoyed at the situation. Sabrina quietly left the room. Doug walked to the door and shut it quietly. You've got to be fucking kidding me, Cowdery, he said under his breath through gritted teeth. What's this bullshit about hearing noises down there? Something grabbing you? Are you high or something? Drunk? Joe knew Doug wouldn't believe him. None of that. But I have heard noises the last couple nights down there. What kind of noises, for Christ's sake? Banging noises, footsteps, plain as day. Joe took a sip of his coffee and slowly shook his head back and forth. You've been watching too many movies, Cowdery. Been listening to that screaming hippie shit too loud. That's all, that's all we need is people here at the hospital talking about our department like we're a bunch of weirdos. They'll think we're all nuts, me included. Joe didn't respond. He knew it didn't matter what he said. That basement is about the only place in the hospital that's not on the security cameras. So whatever you imagined happened down there, we can't know for sure. But if I was a betting man, I'd say you were just clumsy and fell, probably on your damn cell phone. Dug down the coffee and threw the empty cup toward the garbage can, missing by two feet. Yeah, maybe. He knew arguing with Doug wasn't going to help. He just wanted him to leave the room. Joe just wanted to get out of here and go home. He looked at the clock. It was just past 8.30 a.m. Doug also looked at the clock. Shit, I need to get going. Some of us have work to do. See you on Monday. I'll work your shift tonight if I can't find someone to cover it. No more talk about Jason or Freddy chasing you with machetes or anything. Got it? He turned and left the room and muttered, Christ on a goddamn Christmas tree. Joe glanced down at the redness of his right ankle. He felt a cold, clammy, shivering sensation sweep over him, wondering what the hell had grabbed him in the basement. There was a horrible feeling of dread, wondering if whatever was in the basement would come looking for him. He wasn't sure if he would be able to go back down there again, but for now he was thankful of a three-day weekend with Betsy. She would help him forget about it, or at least try. It was Friday at 4.30 a.m., and Doug Montgomery was finishing up sweeping the basement hallways. Now it was time to mop. He could not find a custodian to cover Joe's shift, and rather than let anyone else know about the incident, he just figured he'd work it himself. He didn't mind getting a jump on the weekend with plans to go to the dirt track in Farmer City that night to watch the races. It was the first stock car race of the season, and he enjoyed taking the boys, especially now that they were old enough to actually watch the races with him. Doug thought he might even splurge and get pit passes so they could meet the late model drivers. Hell, he might even take his wife Sandy and make her a regular family outing out of it. 
She also enjoyed going as long as some of her friends were going to be there. The track was supposed to have a local country cover band, Tommy Sims and the Cow Tippin' Six, played between the heats. Doug would have one of his maintenance guys, Stan Arbuckle, cover for him after the overnight shift so he would be able to go home and catch up on some sleep. As Doug pushed the mop bucket into place, he stared down the long, dark hallway at the metal double doors. He laughed to himself, thinking what Joe told the doctor about hearing noises coming from the old morgue. Impossible. Doug supervised moving the old equipment and supplies when it closed and personally walked through the area to be sure it was secure. He had the locks changed and rekeyed to keep everyone out of there. Most of the equipment was too old to do anything with, so it was scrapped at the local recycling center for cash. A few items were given to a local funeral museum in Springfield. He knew that nothing should be in there, and certainly no one making noises like Joe claimed he heard. Doug chalked it up to a wild imagination from a young kid who watched a few too many scary movies. The devil-worshipping heavy metal music he listened to sure didn't help matters. Doug liked listening to old country like Alabama or the Oak Ridge Boys and songs about simpler things in life. He thought everyone should as well. He had only been mopping for ten minutes when he thought he heard something. It sounded like a banging, metal on metal. Doug froze in place and stared at the double doors. The noise did not repeat. Doug figured it was the elevator doors behind him and continued to mop, humming the melody to one of his favorite songs, Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. Despite the fact that he hadn't done any manual labor in years, he found a certain solace in mopping the tile floor. Dealing with a variety of emergencies throughout the day and catering to the whim of the administrators, Doug rather enjoyed the mindless task of mopping. My heart's on fire, Elvira. Suddenly, the banging sound rang out again. Doug stopped humming. He was about 20 feet from the double doors, and this time he knew the sound came from there. Doug didn't want to believe it, but there was no mistaking it. He would never admit that to young Joe Cowdery and tell him that he was telling the truth, but again the banging noise persisted. It was loud and prominent in the empty hallway. Giddy up, oom papa, oom papa, mau mau. Doug hoped humming along with the song would make the noise stop, but it didn't. He thought about calling security and have them sending someone down to the basement to check out the source of the noise. He knew that they would all get a big chuckle out of that. Doug had his share of arguments with security over the years, especially with the overnight crew and their supervisor, Ronnie Wilson. Doug had turned Ronnie in on more than one occasion for not doing his job and spending his shift shuffling around with a coffee mug, spending way too much time in the bathroom and watching movies on his laptop. 
Ronnie's aunt was the director of human resources at the hospital, so complaints never went anywhere but her trash can. It pissed Doug off to no end, yet he filled out written complaints about Ronnie on a weekly basis. Hi-ho, silver. Away. The banging noise continued again. Now Doug was determined to find the source of it. As creepy as it was in the dim light of the hallway, at an hour where no signs of life were found in the old basement, Doug thought that there had to be an explanation for the noises. He set the mop down in a bucket of water and liquid sunshine and walked toward the double doors. His steps were slow and deliberate. Doug thought once more about calling security just in case there was an intruder in the former morgue. He thought about Ronnie and the stupid jokes he would make about the call for help and decided against it once again. Doug's hand steadied on the old doorknob. It was cool and smooth and should be locked since most of those were his instructions when they cleared the room out two weeks before. Yet Joe claimed someone was on the other side opening the door the day before. He twisted it to the right, and sure enough, the knob turned easily and was not locked at all. Could it be possible that Joe's crazy story was true? Well, I'll be damned, he said, pushing the door open. Doug looked behind him for a moment, making sure no one else was around. No one was there. Hello, is anyone here, he called out, his voice echoing inside the shell of the former morgue. He pulled out his small flashlight, looking for a light switch. A narrow beam of light moved across rows of the old metal drawers where the bodies were kept in cold storage, awaiting autopsy, identification by family, or a ride to one of the local funeral homes. There was a VA hospital in Marion, Illinois, that was supposed to be purchasing the drawers and having them moved three hours south in a large truck. A new morgue had a more modern system and didn't need the drawers from the 1940s. Doug slowly stepped into the morgue and found the light switch on the wall. He flipped it up, but no lights came on. He remembered that the electricians had moved the ballasts and bulbs to use them in another part of the old hospital where the outdated fixtures were the same and getting older parts was becoming increasingly difficult. He would be happy when the old hospital was demolished, and he no longer had to try to find parts out of production for over 20 years. Just then, Doug heard movement to his left. He shined his flashlight beam in that direction, but saw nothing. Then it sounded like it came from his right. Pointing the light in that direction yielded nothing either. Who's in here? I'm calling the police, Doug shouted, his voice a bit shaky. He moved his light in every direction, but nothing was there. Suddenly, one of the drawers slid open, worn metal casters grinding on the stainless steel tracks shrieked, piercing the silence. Doug stared at it, his flashlight beam capturing the movement, and then it slammed shut abruptly. Then another drawer on the far end 
opened quickly, only to slide shut again, making a loud banging noise. Without realizing it at first, Doug pissed his pants. A darkened stain spread from his groin. There were ten drawers total, and they were opening and closing in rapid succession. The noise was nearly deafening. What the hell, he cried out. The drawers opened and shut in a macabre choir of metallic fury, as if they were alive and wanting to be fed. Doug took a step back, his left hand reaching behind him for the doorknob. The other hand held the flashlight, and its beam was now flickering, almost in time with the insane banging of the metal morgue drawers. It was sheer madness. As Doug finally found the knob, he turned and began to frantically twist it. It would not turn. He tried the other door, but met with the same result. The drawers behind him continued to slide open and then slam shut a cacophony of metal on metal that was raging in the pitch black. Help! Help me! he screamed, dropping the flashlight to the floor and banging on the metal doors with both fists. His muffled cries went unanswered in the long dark hallway where only his abandoned mop and bucket were witness to the mayhem. Then he felt a clammy, cold touch on the right side of his neck, and then on the left. He screamed, but to no avail, as something moving in the blackness had him by the throat. It was pulling him across the floor as Doug's legs kicked and thrashed about, desperately trying to gain footing. The hold was a vice grip of ice. Help! He barely gasped. The hands on his throat were building pressure and now cutting off his air supply. Doug grabbed at whatever had a hold of him, but yet it was too strong. It wasn't letting go, and he continued to be pulled across the slick tile floor, helpless to stop it. Suddenly, above his head, Doug heard one of the drawers open and felt whatever had a hold of him pick his body up and throw him inside like a rag doll. He could feel the coldness of the drawer, his entire body now lying inside. Terror had a grip on him that refused to let go, and in a moment the drawer slammed shut, trapping Doug inside its stainless steel confines. He screamed himself hoarse for what seemed like hours, but no one could hear him. He banged his fists bloody and kicked his feet until they were numb. There was no one that could hear his tormented cries and frenzied banging in the gloom of the long, dark hallway. Hey guys, this is Pete Altieri of Murder Metal Mayhem. I hope you enjoyed my reading of my own short story, Long Dark Hallway, that appeared in my short story collection, Creation of Chaos, Volume 1, that was published by Blunt Force Press in 2017. If you like that story, you probably like the others. There's 15 total, and they're all just about like that, pretty gruesome, pretty brutal, pretty dark and disturbing. So if you dig that sort of thing... You can go to my website, PeteAltieri.com. Uh, the link will be in the uh, description of this episode, this bonus episode. 
And you can go on there and you could buy Creation of Chaos. You can also buy my new novel. I've got a, a novel I just published, The Dreadful Lives of Enoch Strange. And both are available from my website. You can also do Kindle of either on Amazon. So thank you for checking this out. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll talk to you soon.